You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 286. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're excited to bring this show to you. I think we have a debate brewing for the second half of the show uh, based possibly. on our conversations <laughs> about what we were going to talk about. This week on the Family Gamers Podcast, we are going to talk about Play This, Not That, Dexterity Games. Dexterity Game Edition. Yeah. But first, hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I'm your host, Andrew, and I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. And this week on the show, Anitra has tricked me up. She informed me that I was not allowed to look anything up because she has a fact for the show. Yeah, I was kind of scared we might end up talking about the 286 processor, so I started Which is looking a for... a fair <laughs> concern because that was my first uh, x86 processor was a 286. So I looked up something that happened 286 years ago. Okay. So 286 years ago in 1736, the first American volunteer fire department was formally organized they were called 40 years before the united states was formally yes. organized they were called the union fire company or sometimes benjamin's bucket brigade oh i like that better because they the were bbb orga- they were organized by benjamin franklin in philadelphia they collected dues from their members and they were able to buy their first fire engine six years later in 1743 because everybody paid their dues and sometimes fines for bad behavior the members yes <laughs> Wow, that's harsh. <laughs> harsh, man. I, You know, you do what you got to do. <laughs> all right. Well, another thing that I think we all know at this point is that the Family Gamers podcast is sponsored by First Move Financial. And I get to read the ad read this week, just to mix things up. <laughs> worker placement games are characterized by placing one of your workers, usually in short supply, in a certain location to perform a task or gain additional resources. We can think about our money like little workers in the worker placement game of life. Aww. Are you putting your workers in the most advantageous places? Whether you put your workers in loans to decrease them or bank accounts to grow them or investing in feeding your workers, all of those jobs are important. Lots of budgeting software works under the principle of giving your dollars jobs and this is the same. If you need help figuring out where to place your dollar workers, reach out to First Move Financial. You can find them at firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers, and you can schedule a free call today. Thanks again to First Move Financial for sponsoring the podcast. It's so weird to do that in reverse. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> All right. Well, we mentioned Play This Not That Dexterity Games Edition is coming second half of the show. But as always, first half, we are going to talk about what we've been playing. And number one on the list for both of us <laughs> is lots and lots of... Magic Mountain. Magic Mountain. It has not been lots and lots for me. It has been a little bit for me. Okay, and lots, lots and lots, lots of lots Magic Mountain for me. Lots and lots of Santorini for you. Lots and lots of Santorini for me. <laughs> so we're going to hold off talking about Magic Mountain. We released our Snap review for this last week. So you are going to hear that in the middle of this show. I highly recommend you watch the video for this one. It'll give you a good appreciation of just how much the game really draws you in, even though it doesn't sound complex. Yeah, it really, like... At first blush, it doesn't really look like it's going to be super engaging, and maybe like a just a casual explanation might not, you know, really uh, grab your interest. But for some reason, you just get super invested in these things rolling down this hill, watching the marbles roll down. And be like, no, oh, go that way, go oh that way. Gosh. But anyway, so that's Magic Mountain from Amigo. You're going to hear about that during the break for this episode. Uh, Santorini. Mm. We have been playing a lot of Santorini. It's due back at the library in about a week. I have a feeling we may try to get in another 10 plays of Santorini before we have to return it. So I've played it a couple times. You have played it a I have lot played more. it 10 times in the, what, uh, 10 or 11 days that we've had it. It's been a lot. It's a good game. It's a really good game. I'm starting to think we may need to keep our eyes out for a copy of our own. Sure, why not? But part of what makes it an interesting game, but also one I can't play back-to-back very much is all of the asymmetric god powers. Mm-hmm. Since all of those change a little bit what you can and can't do or what your opponent can and can't do on their turn, I can't just go from one to the next to the next to the next or I will get confused. Sure, So it makes it, sense. 
for me, it's kind of put limits on our playing. Otherwise, we probably would have played it even more times. <laughs> but I can play it at most two times in a row before I have to stop. And I'm like, if I have another god power, I am going to forget how to play this game. Sure. So really enjoying it. It's a really good game. All right. Another game that we've been playing a fair bit of is Mall Peak. So Mall Peak is coming to Kickstarter in a couple of weeks. This is the formal sequel, I suppose, to Skulk Hollow from mm-hmm, Pencil mm-hmm. First Games. It is very much in the same vein where one player is playing as a guardian, which is a large hulking creature, and the other player is playing as, in the case of Mall Peak, the Grizzer, which are it's a bears. Bear. It's a bear clan. Foxes. Yeah. And it's a total blast. Last night we played what they call the Battle for Bore mode, where you take a guardian from Mall Peak and a guardian from Skulk Hollow. And the Grizzar. And the Foxen and the Grizzar, yeah. which supports up to four players. We played a three-player game where I was the Grizzar, you were the Foxen, and our 11-year-old was both guardians. <laughs> and he had a blast with Oh, that. he loved it. I mean... He was picking up this hand of cards and putting it down and picking up this hand of cards and putting it down and going back and forth. And uh, he was he was in his glory. And he was doing an excellent job kind of distracting us from the way he was actually going to win. Well, I mean, he also uh, got a lucky card that he helped. got a card that happened to help at just the right time. So there's definitely a little bit here that still needs some kind of fleshing out and working out and stuff. But it's very minor stuff. I mean, what we have is so close to a production copy. It looks absolutely spectacular it's, it's super fun we will be getting a copy of this game we have to ship our copy mm-hmm. off uh, yeah. which makes us very sad but we will be getting a copy of this game for sure so that is mall peak from pencil first games very excited for this one you should definitely keep your eyeballs peeled for it coming to kickstarter well i've also been playing a little bit of flip picks uh with our kids this is another amigo game mm-hmm. it looks almost like spot it because it's in that same kind of small round tin but this is a picture matching slash phonics game really Mm -hmm. reminds me a little bit of anomia kids except you're going back and forth between pictures and letters and then pictures and then letters again you're looking for a card you can put down that if the card that's out is pictures you're looking for a card in your hand that has a letter that would start one of the words represented by the pictures on the card that's out or vice versa if the card that's currently out has letters you're looking for pictures in your hand you know where you could make the name of the thing in your hand match up with one of the letters it feels super frantic even though it probably doesn't look that way because it's this constant flipping back and forth of the cards in your hand all of them are double-sided with letters on one side and pictures on the other but it feels kind of crazy especially when you have more than two players like three or four or five players it can get really really frantic of just several people putting down stuff and you feel like you can't keep up, but everybody eventually hits the wall where they're just looking and they're like, I have no idea. So it's more balanced than I thought it was going to be at first with kids of different levels. It's not perfect. Our seven-year-old definitely struggles a little bit to keep up if everybody else is going full blast, but it is a fun, quick, and really simple to explain game. Which is great, which is perfect. That's kind of exactly what you want. It's a really good restaurant game too, because- yeah. It's a little tiny tin. It's very portable. You can little thing of circular cards. It's good yeah. stuff. Yep. Let's see. What else do I have on my list? Not a whole lot. I've been back to work, which makes me very sad. Did we talk about Sherlock Case Connection last show? We did. We did. Okay. So uh, I'm pretty much out of games. That's <laughs> it. I mean, a lot of games, but a lot of the same games. Yeah. So. Well, so I've played a little bit more Royal Visit. It's on our 10 by 10. So mm-hmm. we're trucking along on that one. We are not making a lot of progress on the rest of our 10 by 10. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> But we've also started trying out another The Key game from Habba. This one is The Key Theft at Cliffrock Villa. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Pretty much exactly what I expected based on our previous experience with I know, love Lucky Lama Land. I love so much. Like, just in general, the mechanics of this game, they're so good. These are the, basically, kind of, they remind me of the grid style. The grid logic puzzles. Logic yeah. puzzle games that, you know, Penny Press used to just ship these things out by the millions, <laughs> I feel like. I don't know. By my the mom gross. was always doing them, yeah. But there's such fantastic deduction games where there's something like eight mysteries in the box or 12 mysteries in the box. I think there's eight or nine keys. Yeah, well, but, that's what I mean. It's but like, you can go back and play the same one again because it's really more determined by the clues you pick up from It is. The main I mean, area. if your memory's not 
the problem is our 11 year old probably does have a good enough memory where he could be like oh i remember what this like he'll get two of the things and be like oh i know what it is i mean maybe but he more than any of our other kids actually struggles a little bit with the logic aspect of it he barges ahead he makes an inference that isn't supported and then gets the answer wrong but that's okay i mean because for him because he's so smart and he has the memory where he can keep a lot of discrete thoughts and ideas and concepts mm-hmm. and connections in his head at the same time. He just doesn't have the experience jumping to those logical conclusions. And so the actual act of deduction, like the memory is there, but the act of deduction is something that he needs practice with. So something like this is actually perfect for that, I think. It's pretty good. He got really frustrated when it was just the two of us playing. He would probably get a l- little less frustrated if there were other people playing as well. Yeah, I I just, again, like, I think that the process of deduction, and we talked about this with games like Perlock Holmes, and maybe even something even more simple, like an Outfoxed or something like that. This is kind of abstracted from that, because this is multiple layers of deduction, so Mm -hmm. it's definitely harder than those things. So when it's less kind of in your face, where you could call it deduction, but it's not really deduction... It gets a lot harder very quickly, right? Well, so it's, it's, it's multiple layers de- of deduction that, yeah, 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 that yeah. makes it more challenging. Mm-hmm. I really like the theming here, though, because it doesn't feel little kid-ish, but it's entirely kid-appropriate. Right. I mean, it is a theft. These three thieves have come in and stolen three precious artifacts, and you're trying to figure out which thieves stole what at what time and how they got away. Yeah, so they're are actually three in this series in English right now. The one in the middle is Murder at Oakdale Club. And we yeah. we passed on that one just because we we're like, well, murder. Blah, blah, blah. Murder like, and harder. The first one was Sabotage at Lucky Llama Land. And this is Theft at Cliff Rock Villa. So these are, are, are you know, a little bit better. And honestly, the murder one probably would have been fine. It also is just like kind of when it came through. It yeah. just wasn't the right time for us. So I, I just really, really, really like these games. And I love how clever it is. That it's not like you have nine different decks of cards. It's all the same cards, but they're designed in such a way that you can tell which puzzles they apply to. Mm -hmm. And I just, I I just, it's so smart. I just like the whole thing. There's always way more information out there than you need. So part of the game playing decision making process is looking for just the right clues, just the right pieces of information. So you don't take more than you need to get to the answer. Yeah, so the designer of this is Thomas Singh. He's the same guy who did the crew game. So there's a lot of kind of really cool deduction stuff happening. These happen to be competitive. The crew stuff happens to be cooperative. Mm-hmm. But just really smart game design, I think, from this guy. So I'm really impressed with them. Yeah, they're good games. I think that's it for this half. We're going to take a quick break. Wow, that's kind of short for us. That's okay. We're going <laughs> to tell days. everybody about Magic Mountain. Mm-hmm. And then... We're going to come back to some back talk, mm-hmm. welcoming our new members of the community, and then we will play this, not that, with Dexterity Games. All right, we'll be right back. So, Anitra, did you ever race marbles as a kid? Uh, no. Why? How about Plinko? How do you feel about Plinko? I love Plinko. Who doesn't love Plinko, right? Right. Okay. (laughs) But this is a board game review, not a Price is Right game review or commercial. Fine. Thankfully, there is something out there that kind of captures some of the anticipation of Plinko, but with a little bit of strategy mixed in, too. It's this, isn't it? Yes, it is. This is a snap review for Magic Mountain. Magic Mountain is a cooperative, strategic Plinko-like game for two to six players published by Amigo. There is absolutely no reading in this game, so your pre-readers can totally play. And a game is nice and quick, five to ten minutes. So let's start with the art in Magic Mountain. I mean, it's there. It works. It's serviceable. (laughs) Nobody's going to be super impressed by it, but it does the job. There are ten minis. There are six students. And four witches. They're not... Super high quality, um, but they're serviceable and they're sturdy. Your kids are not going to break these. And you can tell which one is which. Yes. <laughs> the game board is clear enough to leave no question as to where you can move the figures. And there are marbles. They're marbles. Yep. They're, they're <laughs> fine, too. The purple marble uh, is a little dark. I And I thought it was black. It's supposed to be purple. Uh, yeah. Fine. So let's talk about the mechanics of this game, Magic Mountain, this pre-reader game. 
The game starts with six students lined up at the top of the sloped board. The four witches go a little bit lower down on the four witch icons. The players pull a marble out of the marble bag. These are the Will-O-The-Wisps, if you follow the story in the game manual. And then they pick one of the lanes at the top of the board to put the marble in. Once the Will-O-The-Wisp is free, it's unpredictable. It rolls down the branching paths, bumping into figures as it goes. Any figure it hits moves to the next spot on the switchback path in that marble's color. And if there's no more spots, then that figure goes to the kind of holding area at the bottom, which is sort of the goal of the, the game. The goal, yeah. yeah. The goal is to get four students to the bottom before three witches get to the bottom. That's it. <laughs> well, technically, there's also a competitive mode that works roughly the same way, where two players control either three witches or three students, but you're still just moving them by what the marble hits. So let's talk our expectations. What did you expect from this game, Andrew? All right. Well, I, I first saw this at the Gamma Expo. I mentioned that before last week, and the folks at Amigo were kind enough to demo this game for me. I, I mean, I saw the box. It looks cute. I expected something relatively simple and straightforward with the 5 plus on it and the pieces, which are kind of, you know, large and chunky and almost cartoony, right? So I mentioned the game to you. And it just looked like a simple kids game to me. I wasn't super interested, but I knew you were going to play it with our youngest. Yeah, I mean, look, we're the family gamers after all. That's what we do. Were you surprised at all? I was. <laughs> when we first pitched playing the game to our youngest, who's seven years old, he wasn't terribly interested either. He's a grump pants. He was being a big grump. Yeah, I mean, he usually is. <laughs> He's seven. It happens. <laughs> but you got him to come over and try the game. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long before he was whooping and hollering, and, oh! <laughs> so I came over to see what all the fuss was about, and he was setting up for another game because you guys had just finished. Mm -hmm. I double-checked with him because he seemed so uninterested in the beginning, but it literally took five minutes and one game to win him over. Yeah. And a typical gaslighting seven-year-old, he was like, yeah, we're playing again, obviously. What are you talking about? <laughs> Yeah. He's, he's, he's ridiculous. From the first time I saw Magic Mountain, I was honestly surprised how invested I was in this game. Again, I'm standing in this convention hall looking at this game. Games of chance like Plinko, they always have people kind of on the edge of their seats because any bounce could be victory or defeat or something like that. You have some control over where the marble will go because of where you start it, but the truth is that once you let it go, just like the narrative says with the Will of the Wisps, they have a mind of their own. Yeah, I couldn't believe how engaged everyone at the table was all of the time. As that marble is rolling down the hill, you really want to pick your piece up and move it to the next appropriate spot as fast as possible because the marble might hit it if you catch it just right. It's also a game that an adult should set up. Clipping the plastic supports onto the sides of the board was easy for us, mm -hmm. but it's hard for little hands to do it without mangling things. <laughs> this is a 10-minute game that is loaded with fun. Yes! We all love strategic games, but sometimes it's just better to just sit down and rock through something that's nice and easy and fast with the kids. It's super fun! So, Anitra, what do you think we're going to rate Magic Mountain from Amigo? I think we're going to give it four out of five Will of the Wisps. All right, and that's Magic Mountain in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. Hello. So let's start by welcoming our new members to the Family Gamers community. All right, well, I will get things started by saying welcome to Frank. Welcome to Mike. And welcome to Todd and Amber. We are so happy that you are part of the community. I put up a little happy dance uh, mm -hmm. cat, I think from the Aristocats. Is it? I don't know. Definitely from an animated cat film. Yes. Also <laughs> adorable and, um, <laughs> you know. Anyway, this is a cat doing the happy dance. And we are happy that you're in the community. If you did not see this post, please head over to the Family Gamers community and say welcome to our newest members. All right. And now some back talk. Yeah, that's right. We won't take it from our kids, but we'll take it from you. Twitter follower Doug asked how we got started with family reviews of board games or reviews of family board games. Or, well, I mean, it's kind of both. Yeah. yeah it's, you know, <laughs> it is. We'll review games that are not necessarily family games. As a family, we'll review non-family games. Yeah. yeah. As a family, we'll review family games. <laughs> yeah. As nerds, we'll review family games. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Anyway. All those things. Yeah, all the things. So how did this whole thing get started, my dear? I mean, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> okay. So... 
Anitra and I met in college. <laughs> Maybe not that far back. <laughs> well, I mean, let me establish this. So one of the first things that we did together was play, we played a lot of Illuminati from Steve Jackson games. Uh, a lot of Catan, a lot of Ticket to Ride, a lot of Illuminati. I remember the Illuminati. The other two games are kind of... Hmm. I remember a lot of Catan. I yes. never really liked any, ex- literally any expansions or any of the sequel games like yeah. Seafarers or Knights and Cities. And I don't like any of that stuff. The only Catan I ever actually cared for was OG Catan. Straight up vanilla Catan. Yep. 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 So anyway, so Illuminati was the kind of the my the favorite one of the three. <laughs> it is a very silly game. We talked about Sherlock Case Connection earlier. There are some things in Sherlock Case Connection that kind of remind me of Illuminati. Yes, but without the interminable math and running out of room on the table and the game taking an hour or more and, and the yeah. weird humor. I mean, yes, it's also missing the weird humor, yeah. but you know. Yeah. So, but just like that kind of that structured yes. thing. Anyway, uh, so, you know, we you know, met in college, you know, fell in love, got married, all that junk. And then um, I got into like amateur video game journalism. You got bit by the podcasting bug. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. So I did a bunch of stuff. I probably did five years of podcasting before the Family Gamer started. Yeah. And, and some, you know, online video game journalism, mm-hmm. you know, some stuff like that. And it just became very difficult to schedule podcasting with people. And nobody wants to listen to me talk alone. So, you know, I needed a partner. It also got really challenging for you to find the time to play video games enough to review them. Well, so it started with the partner problem. And then I kind of got to the point where our oldest was kind of getting to an age where I wanted to, you know, like spend time with her. <laughs> what? I know, no, you weird. I mean you always wanted to spend time with her, but yeah. no, it's not like it suddenly came on, but it was sort of the oh, I can do real things with you. Yeah, now. Anybody who has like a three to four year old understands like you're just on the verge of being able to like actually do things. Like since then we have learned ways to do things with younger kids that <laughs> kind of approximate some of the <laughs> concepts of board gaming. You but laugh, we had no but idea at the time. But at the time yeah. there was nobody look, here's the thing. There was nobody doing what we are doing now. Now there are lots of people doing what we're doing. But then yeah. there was nobody. The closest thing you got was the fact that the Dice Tower was actually family friendly. But it wasn't a family gaming channel and we did, didn't even find out about all these awesome like yellow box haba games until our oldest was like seven yeah so there just there wasn't an avenue to get this information out to people to listeners and that's i mean that's why we've been doing this for like seven years because <laughs> yeah. we continue to see that that avenue is being filled better we have you know our friends in engage family gaming who do more video game stuff but that's okay we have our friends at one board family obviously the kids planning crew is doing a great job mm-hmm. tabletop family games is out there there is the board game family but they don't have a podcast they just have a website so at that time there wasn't a lot and yeah. so i looked at this it was kind of a combination of things and i said okay well i mean i could play video games whenever if my daughter is going to be awake, and at this point, Asher was two, three-ish, two-ish, something like that. So let's let's say it was 2015, we'll say. So Claire would have been seven. Asher would have been four. And we had a one-year-old. Hey. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I still feel that way about him sometimes. <laughs> You're not <laughs> um, wrong. And I just looked at this and was like, okay, well, let's pivot this whole thing, and let's find some board games. And right around that time, Robot Turtles had come to Kickstarter, and that mm-hmm. was really cool. Like, we're both programmers by trade, so... Robot Turtles is this really cool game that kind of teaches logical progression. And by the way, there are now better games than that, like Quirky <laughs> yes. Circuits, which actually <laughs> Quirky Circuits is a much the, better game. Some of, the, some of the pathing. There's some other stuff out there that's a little bit better now. The only problem with Robot Turtles is you have to build everything yourself every time. And so it's just like constantly yeah. hitting the reset button, which is kind of obnoxious. But so we started to get into some of that stuff and like kind of teaching logical thought and logical processing to our oldest, Claire when she was young and 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 then that kind of went into some games that we kind of found on our own like mm, which we've talked about a lot well and we were playing board games at this point we had a fair collection of board games ourselves probably i don't know 50 or so at the time uh it sounds so adorable <laughs> i know right <laughs> but trying to figure out with the games that we had what was appropriate to try to play with a four-year-old admittedly a four-year-old who was reading and doing a fair bit of math but still had a four-year-old's attention span. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, and it was really hard at that point because we're talking about a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And how do we get them to play the same <laughs> yes. game knowing that they their ability levels are wildly different? They were different. hugely different. So how do you accommodate for all this stuff? And and while we were kind of working through all that, uh, I was doing a podcast with a friend of mine. And just the scheduling on it was just bananas. And so that kind of went away. And then I was like, you know what? If we're going to sit here and do all this research for ourselves, like we are not dumb people. We spend time on the Internet. This is something that is not out there. And we wanted to be able to, you know, make use of all of this research that we were doing we wanted to have a better way to share this with other people beyond just like telling my couple of friends on facebook of like hey i found this cool game or like let me show you how i figured out how to play zombie dice with my kids right and i mean and also facebook wasn't what it is now well i mean i, mean, I know yes but yeah. but i got facebook when our oldest was like a couple of weeks old so that's in my mind really that's of. when you got facebook yes because i okay <laughs> Well, when we graduated college, Facebook was a thing you needed to have an education account to log right. into, and that's when right. I got my Facebook account. I no. never did anything with it. But yeah, no, I, I, I got a it. I got a Facebook account in late 2008. Oh, I see. However, backing up slightly again, so when you had been doing the video game podcast and video game journalism, you were also going to conventions like PAX East, mm-hmm. and something that you noticed and you began to kind of bring me in on was that it was way more interesting to go talk to the indie publishers. Yes. Because they're so much more passionate about what's actually happening. Right. Like, I, you know, I, I, my favorite person that I ever interviewed, and this is like not like, I mean, he was a cool guy, but like just my favorite person, like this is cool story, was when I interviewed the studio head for Compulsion Games. Because we had a super great interview. He's a super cool guy. Uh, they released a game called Contrast, which is just amazing, you know, wonderful game. And then their studio got bought by Microsoft, and the dude that I interviewed was standing on the stage at E3 presenting his stuff, and I thought that was the coolest thing. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, talking to the people who actually make the stuff, you you get kind of two kinds of people. You either get people that don't understand that they have to have a marketing perspective to what they do, and they just like <laughs> they just clam up, and they just sit there, and they're like, hi, I have some stuff. But then you get people that are understanding, and they're passionate. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a developer, and I was interviewing video game people, I could talk to them about nerd stuff, and it was like... It was okay. You know, it yeah. wasn't, you know, I, I couldn't, no disrespect to marketing people, but marketing people have expertise in marketing, not in programming. So <laughs> like, yes, they're good at actually selling the product, but I want to know what the product like is. And I want to like <laughs> dig a little bit and it just yeah. brick wall. So in that regard, but that really, what that did was it really developed in me a, a kind of a passion for talking to the people that are much more integrated into the development of the product. Right. And so I'm bringing it back to that because you were also realizing at conventions like PAX East and Boston Festival Indie Games that there were a lot of board game creators there, too. And almost all of the board game world is, quote unquote, indie. Maybe, you know, you're a publisher, but your publishing company has like 10 games. You're still indie. You're independent. You're not some giant behemoth. Yeah, and I mean, look, there are exceptions. Like, Asmodee is big, obviously. Oh, yeah. And, like, even Renegade is is so big that the people is that getting you're talking to are big. probably yeah. not the people that are designing the games. But oftentimes, even the publishers have been involved in the playtest process. So, right. you know, I'll think of Mark at Grand Gamers Guild, who he's not a game designer. <laughs> he's not. You know, he's a friend of ours at this point, but he's involved in playtesting. He's right. involved with working through that process. He he can really tell those interesting, almost human interest stories, right? I mean, that's why about developer diaries are so interesting. the game comes to be, yeah. Yeah, like that stuff is just really cool. I, I make the joke about how the sausage is made. Like, that's what it is, and it's really, really interesting. Bringing it back once again. So the way this all relates together is... You began to realize you would rather talk to the indie developers and publishers, combined with the fact that our oldest at that point was still relatively young, but old enough that you were starting to want to play games with her, that you began to pivot into starting to do a little bit of indie board game work mixed in with the video game stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we got our start. You dragged me into podcasting. Sucker. Kicking and screaming. No, (laughs) not really. But you dragged me into podcasting and we started reviewing games that were going on Kickstarter and wanted people to review them. Yeah, so we started the podcast probably a couple of years after I had realized, you know, I'd rather talk to the indie people and stuff like that. And right around that time, the video game website that I was writing for, like, they were kind of closing up shop. 
I was the only one doing the writing for about six months, which is weird because <laughs> it wasn't my site. Uh, and eventually, they I just kind of stepped away from them, and they ended up closing up shop. Uh, and then we started the Family Gamers. Yeah, it's this weird kind of multi-step migration. But we started the Family Gamers as a podcast, and pretty much right away, we started looking for how can we get more information out there to families about games. And the easy place to start was with Kickstarter games and with games that we bought ourselves. And then we slowly migrated away from that. Yeah. That's the best I mean, answer. At that point, so this is pre-PAX Unplugged. Yes. Right? Uh, and we were small and microscopically small. So at that <laughs> point, it was things like, I basically was leaning on my video game journalism creds to get media passes to things like PAX East and then only covering the board games that were there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> For like two years. And I mean, if there were family weight video games that were there, I would cover those too. But the, that was one of the great, actually, honestly, it was one of the great things about our site is that it put so much structure around what we cared to look at that like I would go to PAX East and like 60% of the show floor, I literally didn't care about. It was not perfect. even worth looking at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tremendous. It's like if you're trying to design a board game and you're trying to design it for like a button shy design contest, you're like, oh, I can only use 18 cards. So even though that's incredibly limiting, it actually helps put barriers around what I can actually do, which is a helpful thing. Yeah, agreed. So that's kind of how all that stuff happened. The rest is history, I guess. All right. On that note. Doug, I bet you got more than you asked for in that whole explanation, but that's the really meaty story of how the Family Gamers got there. I was going to point people towards episode 100, but I think we just spent more time on it now than we did back in episode 100. So, you know. <sighs> well, you know. Like you do. Like you do. All right. So now on to our topic of the show. Sure. <laughs> Yay! We topic. Good job. <laughs> Play This Not That, where we talk about games that are less than great and what you might replace them with. You know, I mm, here's the tricky thing with this one. Like this week, the games are good. They're just the mainstream games. And in case you want some variety in your life, variety is the spice of life, right? So maybe returning to these mainstream games over and over again is starting to get a little bit stale. Right. But you still like them. You don't. You're not like I hate this kind of game and I never want to play it again. It's just that this particular one is not the one for you. Yeah. This is not like me talking about Candyland, where I'm like I can't understand why anybody would ever play this when there are right. better this options. Is different stuff. These games are fine, but how about something a little bit different to shake things up a little bit? Yeah. Well, let's get All started. Right. So we're gonna start with Kerplunk, which you may say is fine. I think it's one of the banes of parents' game shelves. See that I really. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's loud. I get the loud it's thing. It's so loud. I understand the loud thing. But other than that, like, whatever. The marbles go everywhere. and the, You mean by virtue of them being marbles? I mean, they're marbles, so that's what they do. But it's also all plastic. So if that bothers you as a parent, that's a good reason not to get Kerplunk. Now, that said, the game itself is not terrible. Thank you. <laughs> but how about Go Cuckoo instead? Yeah. So Go Cuckoo is a game from Hava that we like very much. You're still trying to balance round objects on precariously balanced sticks. But this game rewards thoughtfulness because you are building the nest and putting new eggs on it, even as you are pulling sticks out. So you still get that, oh no, moment when you shift a stick and everything falls down. But that's no longer the focus of the game. The focus of the game is on building, not on destroying. Mm -hmm. So that theme is going to come up again in <laughs> yeah. a little bit. But we'll, we'll table that for now. So. Honestly, when I first played Gokuku, I was a little skeptical, but nowadays I would always recommend it over Kerplunk just because I think there are a few more skills involved in Gokuku and it rewards that thoughtful kind of play, which can turn into trying to sabotage the other players, but not necessarily. Well, I, I mean, the big thing for me, and I mean, I'm the one who didn't have a problem with Kerplunk, but the big thing for me with Gokuku that I really like is that it's both sides of the equation. It, you have the deconstruction and you have the construction. Mm -hmm. and yeah, so, I agree. Yes, I, I think that both of those things require different kind of thought. And so I think it actually better exercises your brain because you have two very different kinds of things that you're trying to do. And it can make it a little bit more fair against, you know, among disparate skill levels because most people are not going to be good both at the pulling sticks out and the building new construction on top. They'll be stronger at one or the other. So this one's short because the next one is going to be very long. Instead of Kerplunk, <laughs> we would recommend Go Cuckoo. Mm. Very much. By the way, I want to say this. In case the game ever comes out again, there was a game called Zitternix. Zitternix 
I loved Zitternix. It, it was an absolutely fantastic game, even more simple than Gokuku or Kerplunk. Zitternix was a game of a collection of sticks of different thicknesses and a wooden ring. And you would put all of the sticks inside the wooden ring. It was like a Taurus ring. Yeah. And you would kind of twist it and they would fan out. And what you're doing is you're pulling those colored different sized sticks out of the top of this thing, just, you know, one at one a time, time until the ring falls over. That's the whole game. It's very, very simple. And then the three different sizes give you three, two, or one points, respectively. If you want to go that far, yeah. Smaller, super smart Haba game. Unfortunately, it's not currently in print, which is why the go-to for us is Gokuku. But Zitternix, if it ever returns, 100% great game. Yeah, and that's a great early game as well. Gokuku and Kerplunk definitely tend a little bit older, like five or so. All right, Jenga. So this is a great example of a game that is not bad. Yeah, there is nothing we, wrong with Jenga. There's nothing wrong with Jenga. <laughs> Jenga is a great game by a wonderful designer who figured out how to do it just right so that the blocks look like they're all identical, but they're not quite. So I've always wondered about this. I, what is, do you think this is like just a, a deliberately low tolerance thing or are they yes. deliberately not? No, it, it is deliberately low tolerance okay. See, so that, that, that the blocks so are not more sense to me than all identical. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So before we actually step away from Jenga and say play other games instead of Jenga, I do want to talk about Dread. Sure. So Dread is an RPG that rather than like rolling skill checks, you pull blocks out of a Jenga tower. Which I th- just think is super, super smart. I don't know if you can find the episode of Tabletop with Will Wheaton where they played Dread. But uh, if you can, it's certainly something to, I don't know, Google or look for. Is Alpha still a thing? I know that was where they were putting them. I don't know what streaming service it might be on or whatever. But Dread is a super smart, very basic role-playing game where you're telling a story and every skill check is just pull something out of the Jenga tower and put it on top. Right. And that's it. Well, and it really builds the suspense then as well, because every time you do something a little bit risky, you're increasing the likelihood that the Jenga tower is going to fall over. And so the DM or whatever may say, okay, pull two sticks out, out of yeah. the or like, three or whatever. Like that's really, yeah. really risky. Right. You need to pull several sticks so out. So I just think that is super smart. So if you have Jenga and you love Jenga and you want to do something wildly different, but you just, you have Jenga, that's the game you have. You don't want to go out and buy another game. This concept that Dread introduces, you don't really need to buy a game for it. You can just do it. So I just think it's really smart. So I wanted to bring that one up. Yeah, I agree. However, if you want something that feels kind of like Jenga, but introduces a little bit more to do and a more more decisions you can make, Crazy Tower is pretty cool. We reviewed that a couple of years ago. We did. This is a game from Synapses. Synapses? Synapses games? Well, yeah. I, either way, they just got bought by Flat River Group. So I guess... <laughs> <laughs> it's a game by Flat River Group. Yeah, Crazy Tower is a really interesting game where you are given instructions on how to build these three-dimensional blocks into your tower. So you've got a set of 3D blocks and then you are drawing cards. Mm -hmm. And I think you have a choice of two or three cards every turn where you put a new card down, you start putting blocks on it. That determines how you can put more blocks on it and when you can put more cards down. And it's this trade-off in between the building feeling that you get with the top of the Jenga tower with the deconstruction or trying to make things a little bit rickety and risky on purpose because in Crazy Tower, just like in Jenga, really your goal is to make somebody else make it fall down. Mm -hmm. However, in Crazy Tower, you also can win by getting rid of all of the pieces of your color. So that's an option too, if everybody else is doing too good of a job of building the tower. (laughs) So I want to take a a step back here and I want to talk about, when we look at Jenga, Jenga is a game that is really centered around deconstruction. And so is Kerplunk. And so is Kerplunk. But with Kerplunk, we had a, a, an easy analog with Goku. Yes, where you get to do both the deconstruction and construction right. on top of it. Every game that we discussed as a solution or as a, as a that to the this that is Jenga is almost exclusively a construction game. Yeah, there's very little out there that's deconstruction. And so... So this is the thing that we kind of wanted to talk about. What is it about Jenga precisely and specifically that makes it so unique? Because the first game that we talked about as a potential substitute for Jenga was Suspend. Right. Which I think is sort of a, our family likes these, you know, building and unbuilding things, but we just want to try something that looks completely different. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think Suspend fits that well, or Suspend Junior. Either one. They're both published by Melissa and Doug. But in Suspend or Suspend Junior, it really is all about building and not really about deconstruction at all. Right. Deconstruction is kind of a the end game, ultimately. Yeah. Well, not really, but it's the profoundly negative consequence of it's, a poor construction it's move. It's the bad thing that happens <laughs> along the way. Yeah. Stuff falls down. It becomes part of the you know, your stash that you're then trying to get rid of. So there just aren't a lot of games out there that have that deconstruction element like Jenga does. Honestly, one of the first ones we thought of was Don't Break the Ice. Yeah. (laughs) Which is very much a little kid game. However, it still is on my probably top 10 games for little kids because they have such a blast with it. I mean, I have such a blast with Don't Break the Ice. It's a fun game. Come on. Come on. I mean, not a good restaurant game, but that's (laughs) Jenga. Yeah, but <laughs> so another game that I did want to bring up uh, as we talk about this whole thing, it's another dexterity construction game, and until later this year, is hard to find, and that is Catch the Moon from Bombix. Okay, so we got ourselves a copy because I had seen a review of it. I was really interested, and you happened to find a copy somewhere. And I was like, yes, please get it. Thank you. Anything. I, honestly, I think it was even on a discount table. I believe it. Catch the Moon is not well known because it's not really available in the U.S., but Cosmos will be bringing it to the U.S. soon, which yes, I am super excited for. It will be coming for. out this year. I was flipping through the catalog for Cosmos <laughs> for the 2022 release. Yes, I was like, wait a minute, that. I know that game. <laughs> so that will be coming. So the thing about Catch the Moon is it looks way more grown up than a lot of your typical dexterity games, which look very kiddish. Catch the Moon looks whimsical and also stylish at the same time. Kind of abstract art sculpture yes. kind of artsy. idea. Art, yeah. But it's artsy. definitely like a whimsical. Yeah, kind whimsical of artsy. Because it's all ladders. Yeah, so the idea behind Catch the Moon is you're trying to build a ladder to the moon, but if you... And you're on, you start on a cloud. You like start on a cloud, yeah. and you're trying to build really a collection of ladders yeah. to the moon. A jumbled pile of ladders. And if you knock ladders off, or if they hit the cloud, then you have to take anything that fell, and you take a tear of the moon. <laughs> oh, it's so sad. Yeah. But again, it looks very artsy and whimsical and more grown up than something like a Suspend or a Gokuku or a Don't Break the Ice, you know. Yeah, this is the kind of game that you would not be kind of ashamed to have on the table at Starbucks if yeah. you were having a cup of coffee. With yeah. Someone. It looks classy. The thing that this look hides in Catch the Moon is it can be an intensely mean game. <laughs> So we mentioned already with Crazy Tower that you're building, but you're trying to build in like the worst possible way to make somebody else knock it over. Mm -hmm. Catch the Moon is that cranked up even higher because you're already put under very serious restrictions of, oh, you roll the die and you're putting a ladder in, but it can only touch one other ladder and it can't touch the ground or the cloud. Or it must touch exactly two other ladders. Or... It can touch either one or two, but some point of the ladder you're putting on has to be higher than any other point in the existing structure. So all of these restrictions are hard to work around, but the ladders are also not uniform. They look kind of like crooked and weird, and because of that, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff, hanging a ladder off of the end of another ladder. You can jam it inside the square, you know, a narrow end inside the square of a different ladder to try to hold it up there at an angle. And you are incentivized to do things as crazy as possible to make it really hard for the other players to keep playing. I really, really like that game. But again, it gets back to this whole thing where a lot of these dexterity games are about construction. So if we were to bring this all the way back to its roots, we are the family gamers. We're talking about family games. (laughs) Yep. Dexterity construction games. We talked about Hava games. We also have to include Rhino Hero in this list. Uh, Of course we do. Right. I mean, that is literally building a tower straight up with a little bit of restrictions that come with each level. As you place cards down, it shows how you have to place cards for the next time. And moving our favorite super rhino (laughs) up the tower, which throws the balance off a little bit and makes it so that sometimes you got to kind of very carefully kind of reach in there with your two fingers and hope you don't knock a card over. Right. So we're going to talk about one more dexterity theme kind of thing in a sec, but I do want to pause here and say, I mean, we really sat and pondered about deconstruction dexterity games for a while, and I would really love to hear from the community. And this, again, is this something we'll bring forward in our back talk next week? 
What other deconstruction dexterity games are out there that you know of that we didn't think of? And maybe we can kind of talk about those. Maybe we'll we'll have a little post in the Family Gamers community about this because this is a really interesting topic that I want to explore some more. One last quick mention before we move on, which is we did find one other game that won the Spiel de Jar 20 years ago that has the combo deconstruction construction that Jenga has, but it is sadly out of print because it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Oh, so that you can find. That, <laughs> I should right. add that to yeah. my request. Like this game looked really cool. It's called Villa Paletti or Via Paletti. And like I said, it won the Spiel de Jar. It looks super cool, and it makes me sad now that it basically is something you can't find unless you, you know, found it on a used game shelf somewhere. Well, like I said, we have one more. Anitra, you want to pull it up? All right, so one more kind of dexterity game. <laughs> we've talked sticks and marbles. We've talked construction and deconstruction. What about flicking? Yeah, so, I mean, when I was a kid in school, like, all we ever did in the back row was fold up those little paper footballs, and then, you know, we'd do, the, like, the, fi- the finger touchdown thing or the yep. finger field goal thing and yep. the, the flick thing. So, yeah, let's talk about flicking games. <laughs> so, <laughs> from tabletop football, don't play that anymore. Instead, you could play something like... I would say Mars Open, the tabletop golf game. Yeah, so this is a game from Bellwether Games. Came out a little while ago at this point, three or four years ago, I think. But what's really cool about this game is that the box is the actual, like, hole, you know, air quote hole for the air quote golf ball, which is this kind of folded thing that you flick. Yeah, so it feels to me a little bit more like disc golf than golf golf. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the idea is there. But you're flicking your... It's not really a ball. It's not a disc. It's a folded up thing. Yeah, your tabletop (laughs) golf thing. You're flicking your pawn. Uh, (laughs) Sure, let's let's do that. (laughs) And there's all kinds of suggested setups to make different courses and different holes. Yeah, I don't remember the number of holes at this point. It's more than 18. I'm almost certain it's more than, it's like 20 something. There's tons of options. But the game comes with a bunch of kind of obstacles that you can, that you have instructions on how to set them up. And it doesn't say this must be, you know, 17.836 inches away from whatever. Right. It's like pictures and you just kind of set them up and then you compete. It's just like a silly little flicking competing game. Yeah, and one of the cool things about this is just like playing, you know, your tabletop football, this goes with whatever size space you have. Like, you couldn't play it on a desk, but you could play it on any kind of kitchen table, whether you have a round one, a square one, a rectangle, a really long rectangle, doesn't matter. You could go from the counter to the table. Yes, you could (laughs) do all kinds of stuff. This is a game where you can totally freeform it as well. I've seen tournaments with this game, which are just super a lot of fun. And it really captures that whole idea of the flicking thing, but brings it to the next level. And I like that it has this good combination of incredibly flexible. You can play it in any space, but they're not forcing you to make up your own holes or courses or whatever, like the issue we mentioned with Robot Turtles. Right. There is another game, and I guarantee you, at least some of the people who are listening to this are wondering why it wasn't the first game that we mentioned, (laughs) because there are a couple of flavors of this extremely well-received game. And this is... Flick 'em up. You mentioned this idea of not having to come up with scenarios. Flick 'em up does a really, really great job with this as well. So, Flick 'em up is a game where you play as a cowboy or as a team of cowboys. You are acting out essentially these scenarios, and it's your team against another team, and you are flicking these little movement tokens around in the town that you set up with all these various pieces. And then you have gun tokens that you can kind of flick for your bullets, and you're trying to shoot all of the other players or, or accomplish some goals that have been kind of set forth in whatever the scenario is. It's very, very clever. I love the little cardboard hats that they put on the meeples, which both make them look like cowboy meeples and also identify like by number which meeple is which. Sure, sure. Uh, It's just a super brilliant game. And again, I think there's a Dead of Winter flick-em-up game. And I think there's another one as well. Uh, I'm not super mega familiar with them, but um, it's a really, really smart, um, really clever implementation. And, you know, there is strategy in Mars Tabletop Golf, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of the same thing over and over again like with this it's a little bit different you know you might have to flick the little movement token into a doorway to go into a building kind of thing and and so it's just it's really clever how that stuff uh works out i'm gonna throw a third one in before we wrap up which is ice cool speaking of family flicking games yeah 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 it's a great call and it has some of those same things that i really like about mars open which Mm. is 
there's a lot of flexibility there, especially if you get both ice cool and ice cool too. There's all kinds of layouts you can do. But now you really have the feeling of competing against everyone else. This is not a solo try for the best score kind of thing. This is a no, I am actively trying to chase you or I'm actively trying to get away from you and get my goal of fish. Yeah, you're 100% right on that. There also is a series that I know is a flicking game that I that is very popular called Catacombs from Elzer Games. I really, I don't know a lot about it. I have not played it. I have seen it. If you have played it a lot and you want to like talk about how awesome it is, once again, please head over to the Family Gamers community and talk about that game because I just don't know enough about it. I know there's a ton of expansions for it. Uh, and, and again, I know it's, it's very, very popular. So I would love to hear someone who's in the know talk about Catacombs and how great it is. All right. So if you want to tell us about your favorite flicking game or your favorite dexterity deconstruction game, please, please do. You can find us all over the internet at Family Gamers AA. That's right. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok at Family Gamers AA. But don't forget that community. The community, I think, is the lifeblood of a lot of the people who listen to the show and mm-hmm. talk about what they see on the website. You can find our Facebook community by going to thefamilygamers.com forward slash community or just searching the Family Gamers community on Facebook. Like we mentioned with the Magic Mountain Snap Review, these days all of our Snap Reviews go up on YouTube. They do, where you can see our beautiful faces. Well, your beautiful face, my just facey face. (laughs) You can see something anyway. But we would highly recommend it, especially for this Magic Mountain review, because there's something about watching the marble come down the hill and hit things that's just really cool. Yeah, it's... I'm almost bugged at how much I like it. Like... I just feel like people are going to watch and be like, okay, dude, you need to chill out. And Uh, maybe maybe that's true. Maybe I do need to chill out. But you know what? I like it. I like you just the way you are. Thank you, Billy Joel. (laughs) But on YouTube, we are The Family Gamers. That's right. We'd love it if you would head over there, subscribe, and hit that bell so that every Friday we can remind you that there's a new Snap Review. You can, of course, also email us. Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. Check out our merch and our kid-designed t-shirt. About balanced fun, controllers, and meeples. Yes. Love it. Good stuff. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. Leave us a review to tell strangers about the podcast. Apple Podcasts or Amazon Music or Stitcher or wherever it is that you listen, leave us a review. All right. The Family Gamers Podcast is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com forward slash family gamers to learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. What's your first move? Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. All right. Well, until next week, everybody. Play Play games games with your your kids. kids.